Thank you for listening to the Patrick Ely podcast. As always, it's for entertainment purposes only. It is not financial or medical advice. So a couple of days ago, this woman named Ashley Sinclair was getting on a Delta flight and she noticed something a little off about the passengers waiting. She did a little looking, she did a little digging, she did a little questioning, and she realized that the majority of her flight was illegal immigrants. She hadn't been able to get a premium seat nor a first class seat because illegal immigrants were taking up all of first class and the majority of coach. And they hadn't bought the tickets themselves. The federal government had purchased the tickets and they were flying illegal immigrants with no identification, no medical screening, first class to New York and Chicago and a couple of other asylum cities. Now, who is Ashley St. Clair? She is a writer slash reporter for the Babylon Bee. I think she may make most of her money streaming video games, but she's this really pretty, extremely intelligent lady, the kind that you rarely see in media because the major news networks, for the most part, only let attractive women on when they're vapid, empty, it's a plus if they're satanic, evil, dumb human beings. You know, people who are incapable of repeating their own thoughts so that the networks can just download whatever they want them to say. It's important to point out who she is because that translates to about a million followers on Twitter. I believe she's not on Instagram or Facebook for political reasons, for lack of a better word, but she's got a huge following. And so she made a bunch of videos about this experience at the airport and it went viral. And in doing so, hundreds of other people, if not thousands, but hundreds of, of videos and messages went viral as well about other people having the same experience in airports around the country. At this point, 2023 in the United States, we have to ask ourselves, what the fuck are we doing? Now with these immigrants, we're not doing this to give people a better life or to create outreach for those less fortunate. We have people way less fortunate in this country right now that there's no interest in helping. Meanwhile, we're sending God knows who on first class. I've never flown first class. I've flown on a private jet, but that's neither here nor there. I've never flown first class. The majority of Americans will never fly first class in their lives. The majority of Americans don't have the savings to buy a single first class ticket, and they can't afford health care. One of two or a combination of the two things are going on. Really huge companies like multi-state construction companies want cheap labor and or the Democrats want to keep rigging elections by getting these people in, preventing laws that require voter ID, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, getting these non-English speaking, non-American people to vote Democratic, most likely a combination of the two. And I'm all for a little cheating in a free society. Well, depending on the game, I'm all for a little cheating in sports. I'm all for a little cheating in business. I'm all for a little cheating on the law. I think even in a supposedly free society, we tend to create too many rules and policies. And if we truly had free competition, a lot of the stuff considered cheating wouldn't be cheating. But this country has gotten ridiculous. 
the things that we would criticize other nations and call them third world countries for doing, our leaders championed by a relatively large contingency of idiots who are taxpaying citizens are doing right in front of us. I don't think anybody has the opinion that we shouldn't help people around the world who are suffering and offer few people asylum. However, I think the majority of citizens would agree that we should make sure that we're helping Americans first. We should help someone in America starving before we offer thousands of dollars to an obese person who took a bus somewhere in Mexico up to the border to get checked in. It's like America is becoming less and less free in the name of freedom. Like if you have a free society, people naturally compromise. But we're seeing laws in the name of freedom that don't allow people to compromise. For instance, in a free society, if somebody wants to eat tens of thousand calories a day and become obese, they should have the right to do so. But in a free society where you have freedom of speech, it shouldn't be considered a violent threat to call that person fat. At a once supposedly great university like Harvard, it's hate speech to call somebody fat but it's not hate speech to call for the genocide of all Jews. It doesn't make sense. That's not very free. That's what was so great about a freer America and the melting pot that it created. It created natural compromise. It created a society where different cultures could coexist and pursue their own dreams. I get that some people react to perceived phobias and stuff like that because they don't want to become communist China, where you just have to do exactly what the government dictates. But becoming a nation of seven-year-old drag queens simulating sex at school assemblies is a little far from the middle of the spectrum if you're trying to avoid becoming communist China. It would just be common sense that maybe we'd not let people be trannies before they're 10 years old. We have all of these drug laws. We're still putting people in prison for marijuana. Cocaine is not legal. I don't like cocaine. I don't think anybody should do it. But cocaine is illegal. However, we're just letting our borders flood with fentanyl as these people walk in unchecked with no requirements, no screenings, no background checks. It's become nonsensical. The polarization has become ironic. You've got people in New York City thinking they're living a natural life because they pay $1,000 to go to a sound bath in Brooklyn surrounded by crystals for a day, yet they don't know how to build a fire or go camping, which would actually be an experience in nature. I went hiking the other day up in the mountains. This is where I used to live, I guess, eight years ago now. And I, I went to a locals-only spot. You have to go down a dirt road. It's a fire road. It goes to a beautiful peak that if you go in, in the public areas, you have a hard time getting to. And when I got there, there were a couple of vehicles in the parking lot, an old Cherokee and an old Subaru Outback. I'm talking old, like smaller than the current Impreza station wagon. And as I was getting myself together and getting the dog loaded up, a couple people came out of the woods, returning to their car. And one of the guys was dragging sticks. He had a little mini chainsaw with him. And from what I could tell... They'd been out there camping. I'd used a chainsaw earlier this year, and it had been so many years since I'd fired one up that I had to YouTube how to do it. And thank goodness for YouTube. But also, 
A lot of times when I go to YouTube, something that has to do with construction or fixing something on my car or at my house, I'm embarrassed at myself. If it weren't for YouTube, I would know how to do virtually nothing useful. I know how to do a whole bunch of things that are useful to this modern society. But left alone, with a grid that's gone down, if I was lucky enough to be with a, a camp of people, they wouldn't be able to use me for anything. I've had this kind of feeling my entire adult life. I remember when I was in high school, I knew how to take a car apart to install a stereo system, and I knew how to change oil, and that made me seem like a mechanic to people I went to school with, which said less about my skills and more about how unequipped my generation is. When I got to college, I found myself in a condo that needed a bunch of little, little jobs done to it. A little plumbing here, a little painting there, and I was helpless, and it was embarrassing. I remember being embarrassed to tell my dad I didn't know how to do so many things. And I was frustrated with the fact that I had an English degree and I was about to have a science degree. But I'd spent all this time reading books about not even philosophy, just people's ideas on life via my English major. I read all of Shakespeare, for instance. But I devoted no time to learn how to do anything useful. And I knew and know that my dad was proud of me for getting the college education. He'd wanted me to go to college. He didn't tell me what to major in. I don't think he really majored in anything that much more useful than my English degree. But I also felt like a bum, saying I, I could really use his help or I might have to hire somebody to do stuff around this condo. I felt like my high school years lacked any direction that I could gravitate toward. I hated school. In retrospect, I understand why I hated school. I would probably hate grade school now if you put me back into it. I remember really getting consumed by learning how to work on my car in the ways that I did. But I didn't have anybody like older than me saying, hey, let's repair a transmit, let's replace. See, I don't even know that usually you don't repair a transmission. Usually when your transmission goes out, you need to replace it or thoroughly go through how a car operated. I think that maybe... Parents of my generation had felt like their parents expected them to do a very narrow range of stuff. And so my dad wasn't necessarily like, hey, you should be doing this with your free time or, hey, come help me work on these things around the house. And he probably felt like he was giving me freedom doing that. But because I had so little direction, unless I was working a job, of which I, I had them pretty regularly, I didn't know what to do. Some of that time I ended up spending in what I would say was a productive way. I learned how to play bass guitar and I wrote songs and I listened to a lot of music. But I also allegedly spent hours driving around with friends just smoking pot. Now I will say about the pot thing, I think under the circumstances, allegedly it was a very good thing that I was self-medicating with marijuana from time to time during my younger years. I don't know how I would have dealt with my circumstances without some sort of what I would consider healthy medication. But I lived during a time and in a place where marijuana was treated like a narcotic. People went to jail for it. Cops used it as leverage to give you a hard time during traffic stops, stuff like that. And parents, many who smoked weed secretly themselves, didn't want their kids doing it and certainly wouldn't allow them to do it safely in the confines of their own home. So there was a lot of time and effort spent smoking pot secretively. It would have been a lot healthier and a lot more productive if as kids we could have hit a bowl or smoked a joint or taken a bong hit 
in the middle of doing something like landscaping or working on a car. What would have been even better is if marijuana was legal and we could have smoked weed while learning how to grow clean, organic cannabis. Because the weed that was available to us back then either smelled like household cleaner or came from God knows where off of like a Fisher Grateful Dead tour and you had no way of knowing like what had really gone on with it. And the expensive stuff, I have a feeling was, was pretty clean, pretty well grown, but it was expensive unnecessarily so. Now, where I live, you can have the best cannabis in the world for pennies on those dollars because you're allowed to grow it and you have easy access to good supplies and good strains and you can produce a quality product, quality medicine for those who need it medicinally. In my 20s, I was often broke and that equated to me driving pretty consistently shitty cars that had problems. And it caused me a lot of anxiety because when a check engine light came on or turned the key and the car didn't start, or I was driving along and the car stopped moving, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea how to figure out what was wrong with it, and I had no idea how to fix it. And I knew some guys my age, and I knew many guys older than me, that were quite happy with their car situation, being broke, and driving shitty cars, because they knew how to work on them. In fact, they'd end up with cars they liked. They weren't current model cars. They might have been 10 or 15 or 20 years old, but they'd find a car they felt like was cool, cool old pickup truck or some little sports car, and they'd fix it and they'd keep it running. And slowly but surely, they'd make modifications or add stuff, which because they were able to do self-installs, they were able to upgrade for way cheaper than the same sort of products in new cars. And I knew how that worked a little bit because I had installed my sound systems in high school and the amount you paid for an equivalent sound system that you could buy aftermarket to have in a new car was twice as much as you could put in the vehicle yourself. And then you could have exactly what you wanted. You know, car companies are always trying to cut corners and say they advertise a, a Bose sound system, but they might put the shittiest Bose speakers in there and you think you have great sound and then you really don't. But I had great sound in my cars and trucks. I did some landscaping in my last years of chiropractic college and I would be embarrassed when I'd come to a new client because they'd ask me to do something like install a sprinkler system or dig a certain kind of ditch or plant a certain kind of uh, plant, like a flower or a bush. I'd have to ask them how to do it. So a lot of times I'd be doing the labor, but for the first period of working for somebody, they'd be walking around with me telling me how to do everything. And on one hand, that was good because at least I knew I was doing what they wanted, but I could tell they were often frustrated and took a lot of extra time, and I couldn't justify being paid as much as I could justify if I was more than just a laborer. When I moved to Chicago, any skills I had in terms of fixing things and being useful disappeared. I don't feel like I knew anybody in Chicago living that city life that knew how to do anything useful. It was all fake business. There were a few doctors, but there were lots of lawyers. There were lots of people in advertising and marketing, ideation, inventing products nobody needs, and then inventing marketing campaigns to convince people that they need the products. Then I moved out to the mountains, the Sierra Nevadas, and I lived in a, it was called a cabin, but it was like a three, almost four bedroom, two bathroom house made out of wood. And I lived there for a year and I had a great time. I did a lot of hiking. I did some mountain biking but I didn't know how to fish. I would have learned eventually. That was on my list of things to learn. Didn't know how to fish, didn't know how to hunt. 
it was easier just to head outside and go for the hike with my dog than to take the time and the learning curve and procuring the products because I didn't know what lure I was supposed to use or what was a good pole, et cetera, et cetera. I had to learn how to chop wood. When I was little, I'd gone camping some and I'd use an ax that somebody had brought, my dad, whoever, and I'd chop a few pieces of wood. But actually chopping wood, I didn't know you, you don't even use an ax. You use something called a wood splitter, which is like an ax, but it's weighted. So it creates a lot of momentum when you're swinging down and it can drive right through a thick piece of wood. I didn't know how to use a wood stove. I learned because that's where we got a lot of our heat but I had to learn how to chop wood. I had to learn how to use a wood stove. I didn't even know what kind of wood you were supposed to burn. I had never heard of seasoning wood, which essentially means letting it dry out. And initially I had some really terrible fires going because I would put wet wood in there, in the stove and in the fireplace. And that produces all sorts of troublesome chemicals, one of which is creosote. And then you have to use products or get a chimney sweep to clean the creosote out of the chimney or the piping to the wood stove. I really enjoyed learning how to engage with my environment, but I was also consistently embarrassed and reminded I didn't know how to interface with my environment. And being out in the mountains was this really special experience because I had had this hypothesis while living in Chicago that if I got closer to nature, I would find the things I did in life more rewarding. And it turned out to be true. Engaging in your environment, building something or fishing or hunting or building a fire is a lot more fun than just interacting with a screen. I think about all of the hours people younger than me probably started with my generation, but all of the hours kids spend playing video games. And on top of that now are the hours they spend on their phones. I don't play video games now because I feel like I already spend enough hours on my phone but they're genuinely enjoying themselves playing the video games. They give you shots of dopamine, a feel-good chemical in your brain. They are exciting. They take a lot of critical thinking and strategy, and you get immediate feedback in a well-designed game. So they're having fun. But once they turn the console off, the fun just disappears, and all that time has disappeared as well. And there's a big difference between that and doing something where you have a a true sense of accomplishment that stays with you that you get from doing a project where you're interacting with your physical environment. And it it isn't necessarily about building. I mean, walking on a treadmill for an hour gives you way fewer benefits that stick with you throughout the day compared to taking a hike outside or even just a walk outside. You might burn the same number of calories, but you don't feel as good as far as mood elevation You don't get the same benefits of like balance and cerebellar stimulation from having to move on an uneven environment. (coughs) And so what kids don't realize when they're spending all these years having fun playing video games because they're enjoying themselves, they don't realize they're missing out. I think a lot of kids probably feel like they're missing out when they don't get to play their video games because their life doesn't involve other things that absorb them and stimulate them. Maybe a kid gets lucky and he plays some sports, maybe he skates, but there's so much out there beyond that that can give you a well-rounded existence and a well-rounded sense of being, feeling capable. I spend a lot of time in the country these days with real farmers, real ranchers, and I have been lucky enough to develop some talents where I can be helpful to them, but not ranching. And I'm consistently in awe of all of the stuff they know how to do whether it's 
raise crops or animals, fix tractors, correct irrigation and plumbing issues, understand the way that nature and seasons and weather interact with each other. And they get so much out of their work. They care for the land and they also produce things that provide sustenance to people. And a person in Chicago who does marketing for a cigarette company or for some fashion label, they don't do anything for people. They might tell each other at some company party how much they helped Louis Vuitton, but the truth is they're not contributing at all to people's well-being. And I believe on a subconscious level, people know that and it makes them feel less fulfilled. You know, they said that the internet was going to be a, a good thing for people. And they said that modern science, especially with the tools that the internet provided, was going to make people healthier. We were going to cure cancer. Well, guess what? People have more cancer now than ever. People are more depressed than ever. People are more overworked than ever. And people are physically more atrophied than ever. So their brains are overworked and their bodies are understimulated. The internet has made a lot of things in my life easier. I can get to anywhere in the world pretty much with the help of my GPS. I screw up directions less frequently. I can stay in constant contact with good friends and valuable relationships 24-7, 365 days a year. Thanks to text message and FaceTime and all of that fun stuff. But if this were 100 years ago, I'd still probably talk to people the same amount. I'd just talk to people in person more. I have a lot of opportunities to talk to people in person. I do that throughout the day. Just an observation. But I also wouldn't have to worry about putting the phone down to go engage world. I can think of a couple relationships, like a buddy in Chicago, a buddy in Baltimore, who my life is definitely better because I'm able to have a lot of contact with them. But if it weren't for those people, I don't know if my life would be better with all of the contact in exchange for not engaging as much with my, with, with my environment and spending a lot of time with ranchers and farmers. I'm, I'm lucky that at this stage of my life, I do engage with my environment more than the average person. I've learned how to do some things. I've learned how to grow some stuff. But most people don't have that. Most people don't live in rural areas anywhere in the country. And a lot of kids who, who live a rural life because of the circumstances that we live in, they hate that life. They don't want to engage with it. And they dream about going to the big city where they can do a whole lot of nothing. And what they end up doing is they end up spending a lot of time drinking in bars. If they're lucky, getting paid well to do fake business. And I wonder if the values and skills they might have picked up pre-internet, being a little more content with a country life, for lack of a better word. I wonder if those things are going to be disappearing for their their family. So my buddies in the, some of my buddies in the country are younger than me and I'm over it at this point, but I feel stupid when I have to ask them how to do something, fix something, when they have to come help me. Most likely spending time thinking about how useful I would be if the grid goes down, complete waste of time, no matter how many Julia Roberts movies you watch on Netflix. But if it did, so many countries around the world that are the so-called leaders, they're in big trouble. And to me, that just seems kind of like a tragedy because like I was saying earlier, learning how to do useful stuff with your hands, with your body, with your environment, it's fun and it's rewarding. I know it's a lot of fun to play video games with your buddies, but it's not less fun to work on a car with them. It's not less fun to go fishing with them. It's too bad that one of the only ways people can get in a track to learn that kind of stuff is like through the Boy Scouts since... The Boy Scouts seem to be ridden with pedophiles, pseudo-religious stuff. 
So there's that. But I mean, we don't even teach kids physical education in a lot of schools. We teach them, I'll spend a lot of time on like pronouns and European history, but there's no shop class. There's no home ec. You don't learn how to cook. And it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence that so many people get all of their food from services like Postmates, whatever the fuck it's called. I don't, I don't use that stuff, but I mean, wasn't it enough that people would have to pick up takeout and never, never cook? When I was a kid, I always had the image of people who lived in New York City picking up Chinese food. Now people don't even leave their houses. They're able to just sit there and keep staring at the screen or keep playing games, and they don't even have to walk into a place and interact with customers and, and people working at a restaurant to get food. A DoorDash, that's the other one. Postmates and DoorDash. The conspiracy theorist in me wonders, is this by design? Do the powers that be want us to become useless and helpless and completely dependent upon them? Or is this evolution? 